0: you sí. got sí.
1: Jeffrey's
2: show, and welcome to the Donald Jeffrey Show. I'm sorry we're a few minutes late. We had a few little technical glitches, but it's going to be worth the wait, folks. Trust me. a uh, Very special show today. One of my favorite people in the entire world. You've obviously heard uh, him interview me, and me interview him more times than you can remember, I'm sure, if you're listening out there. But uh, John Barber, Hollywood legend. He just turned 89 a couple days ago. Uh The world's oldest teenager. I'm calling him now. He made it a lot farther than Dick Clark did, but I think he fits it perfectly. With his energy and enthusiasm. So, John, we're just going to celebrate your your career on here and uh, hopefully we'll get some phone calls in here because we opened the phone lines from the beginning. So, John, sorry it uh, was delayed, but it's always great to have you.
3: Oh, Donald, it is an absolute delight. But listen, I have uh, in 89 years, I never had a birthday party. Nobody ever threw me a birthday party. So, now that you're doing one, it's it's understandable that it's going to be late because it's unexpected. <laughs> but I'm delighted, delighted, delighted to be here with you.
2: Oh well, that's great. So we're you know we and it's just you know it's just amazing. To consider like uh, how how long you've uh, how how much you've experienced. You know, I mean, in life, I mean, you're ta- you're well, talking about uh, you have
3: You made a bit of mistake when you called me the world's oldest. Teenager, <laughs> um, you know when I was starting off as a comic, uh, I lived had uh, an apartment upstairs over uh, Mort Lockman and Bill Larkin's office, and they were the two head writers for Bob Hope, and they were very strong encouragers of what I was doing. But when he would describe me to his friends, he said, "John Barber is the world's most mature eight-year-old." <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then when uh, Sarita got pregnant with Christopher he went around saying Johnny Barber had to grow his own friend <laughs> so anyway and I, I cannot thank you enough you know I got from all around the world I got oh my gosh I was overwhelmed I got over 300 uh Really nice notes or cards or everything, uh, and your your uh, greeting card. I had to post on Facebook because it was one of the absolute most imaginative, and that's probably because you know me so well. It just looks like a simple greeting card, but it's dressed. It's covered in a white button-down shirt, like a dress shirt. But the two or three middle buttons are open, and inside of the chest, you can see the S of Superman. <laughs> and I just love it, but it's a wonder I even received it, because it came in a very ugly red envelope. And the handwriting was so dreadful <laughs> for both me and the mailman. All I saw was a BA in the return address. And I said, Who do I know at the Veterans Administration? <laughs> well, hold it, maybe that's Virginia. So I opened it out of curiosity and was stunned to see your handwriting, Donald yeah. Jeffries, I must tell you, you have the worst. You know what? You should have been a doctor signing prescriptions. <laughs> It's a good thing that Hold you on. type type your books because nobody would read them then. Well, I got. Wait, wait a, a second, really- John.
4: John, wait a second. Hold on a second here. You're telling me that his what? handwriting is worse than the blind guy's handwriting. You've gotten postage from <laughs> me before, and I can barely see John. And you're telling me I write more clearly than Don does.
3: Is that yes. right? Oh my God! Crystal clear. Unbelievable. I got. But I got a a really sweet note from a private note from a, a lady fan in Serbia. She's very bright lady. She's wow. She uh, she puts together shows for Nikola Tesla once a year, and people come all from all around the world go to her university. She's a monster fan. She wanted to translate my book. Your mother's not a virgin. The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout, who changed the face of American television. She wanted to translate it into Serbian. And I told girl, cool. don't, don't bother, because I don't think anybody would buy it, because not many <laughs> people who read English Buy it. <laughs> and uh, so what they did for like six months, every Sunday they would gather at her apartment and read from the book. Mm -hmm. And the note that she sent me on my birthday, because she knows I'm a huge fan of Mark Twain. I'm always quoting Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you a great story about how I became probably one of the world's most uh, authoritative figures on the works of William Shakespeare. (laughs) If you want to get to that story. But she sent me a note that said, Mark Twain and William Shakespeare. Both of them a literary gem, but our Kermunch and Johnny cannot talk. Both of them, so, <laughs> yeah, they, there you I, go. So, thank, think, you, thank you for having me and whatever it is you're going to do to me.
2: Well, I, I oh, I hope it's not going to be anything bad. And I, and I even, I don't even care that you badmouth my writing, my handwriting, because you love the card, that's the important thing. And believe it or not, John, when I first started writing, I, you know, I had notebooks and notebooks of uh. There, I had great penmanship back in the day, and I, I, you know, I wrote all the songs and poems, and I started writing my first novel. I wrote it all by longhand because it was a computer, So I, God knows how I did it, because I, I can uh, barely scribble a signature now. I don't know; I'm, I'm too used to typing, I guess. But uh, I'm glad it got there because uh, the post office makes a lot of mistakes. So <laughs> I'm glad they were able to. to well,
3: uh, hey, hold it! You didn't even have the taste that acquired that card. Who acquired that car? Oh, it
2: was my wife, of course. I mean, that's she's the one who's there.
3: On you <laughs> go. Okay. Well, the next time, the next time she buys a car, just ha- ha- just tell her you will autograph it, but she has to address it. Okay. to make sure that I do. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll <So>. do that. <laughs> so basically, she gets the praise for that, and I get I, I get bad mouth from my right, but that's okay. That's what it's you know. It is it is what it is, John. But well, listen, don't. I must tell you something, honestly, uh, two things.
3: I cannot read anything PDF on a computer. If I'm going to read a book, I have to have it in my hands. I just love the feel of the paper and the turning of the page. And when I write, I also write, like to write longhand. And my second favorite book, which ha- happens to be Ben Heck's book, a child of the century. He wrote entirely in longhand. I just love the feel of touching paper and holding a pencil.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was... And people like Dickens, I mean, you know, back in the day, they had the quills, and just imagine as long as those books were. They had no other choice. They hadn't even invented typewriters yet. So just imagine how just uh, physically laborious that was. And but, can uh, you imagine... Imagine the power of books back
3: in Dickens' day. Because when Dickens showed up in New York to do a couple of public readings, twenty thousand people met him at the uh, uh, at the at the dock. He twenty thousand.
2: He was a rock star, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. He, it,
3: and hey, that Ch- wouldn't that doesn't exist in America anymore.
2: No, it doesn't. Hey, Chuck, can you can you? Uh... Can you play that uh, that message for John? Do you have it ready?
3: Yeah, I sure can. Really
4: quickly, I want to let listeners know that they can call in at 319-527-5016. Again, that number is 319-527-5016. And uh, you'll be able to call and talk to John Barber as long as we're live today. So uh, just wanted to let you know that. And yeah, you're ready for that clip.
2: So am I. Yes. Here you go. Here, here's, a, here's a special message for you, John.
5: I'm trying to get in touch with John Barber, the legendary John Barber. This is Frank, your good friend Frank from Quite Frankly. I just wanted to wish you a happy, happy birthday. You are a living legend. You are loved by many. And uh, man, oh man, you've become a great friend. So I just want to thank you for the good times, the good interviews, the sharing all of your wisdom, and introducing me to wonderful people like Don Jeffries. So have a good one, John Barber. Happy birthday, and send my best to the wife and family.
3: There you have it. Oh, that is so wonderful! Oh my gosh, thank you very, very much. I appreciate that.
2: Well, John, John wasn't Frank was. I think his band. I think he's in a band. I think his band was playing a gig or something, so he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't call in live. So he said, "Can I record something?" I said, "Sure, absolutely." Uh people love you, John. I mean, you've got you've got tons of fans out there, and uh, as you know, you got people even in Serbia. wanting to let, let them translate it into Serbia? Maybe you get it, you, know, you might not get too many people buying it there, but you know, <laughs> doesn't cost you anything. Like, maybe you get a few Serbs reading it.
3: <laughs> oh well, they they have the readings at her house on Sundays. I don't think they have them anymore, but they did for about eight eight or nine months, and that's when she decided she wanted to translate it. But I. I talked to her out of it. Very, very sweet, unbelievably bright lady.
2: So, what did you tell? What because people, I'm sure, are interested. Tell you know, what? What did you do? Did you do anything special for, on your birthday or for your birthday?
3: No, actually, I, I didn't. <laughs> I woke up with surprise, and oh my god, I'm there. <laughs> no, I did. I did absolutely nothing. But I, I I ended up fielding a lot of messages and stuff. So that's what my day was like. And uh, I reposted. I got a call from Deborah Knight, who is a very bright publicist in uh, Canada. And she had lined up for me two years ago some of the greatest coverage, media coverage, book signings and everything. And a week beforehand... The Canadians turned uh, closed the border because of COVID. But she called me up uh and said, you know, I re-listened to you posted on YouTube, John, uh what it was like, uh, what it's like to turn eighty-eight. And she said, I love listening to it again, but listen, a lot of wonderful stuff happened to you this year, 2022. Uh, 2021 to 22, from April 24th 21 to April 24, 22. So why did you write it? Why don't you write about that? And I said, Well, what do you mean? A lot of wonderful stuff happened. I got COVID for God's sake, and I had it. She said, Yeah, but you survived. And I said, uh, This is what happened when I got COVID. Um, I could barely barely move. I was like a corpse in my bed for like 3 or 4 days, but I literally made myself get up and go outside cuz I didn't know I was I didn't know I had covid. I just thought I was sick. And then my son, who was after me for years, said, "Listen, you better go get tested for covid." Uh and I had the I had the shots after a year and a half of his badgering me because a couple of his friends died and a couple of my friends died. I got the COVID shots back in August, which in retrospect probably saved my life. So, in any event, I found, uh, I couldn't find uh, at Walgreens or any drugstore, any place where I could get a test. So, I had to find a private doctor, paid him $150. And this is the funny part of it the guy was Korean and could barely speak English. Uh, Do you remember um, those old Bela Lugosi Dracula movies?
2: Absolutely. One of my favorites, yeah.
3: Okay, and do you ever remember the wonderful takeoffs of Bela Lugosi that Lenny Bruce did? Absolutely hysterical. Uh, Okay, and what he did in his act, To ward off the evil spirits, he'd take his two index fingers and cross them and make it look like a cross. So that way they ward off the the evil spirits. Well, anyway, that's what this Korean doctor did when he came (laughs) in the door. Uh, Originally, when he met me, he got close to me. But when he discovered I had COVID, he just stopped at the door. And he crossed his fingers. <laughs> and he said, "You got COVID." So anyway, I thought, you know what I'm going to do. I, you know, I haven't made a, any arrangements for whatsoever for when I de when I depart this orb. Okay, <laughs> when I shuffle off this circling orb, I have not made any plans. So I thought, I felt so bad. I think, think, you know what? I'm going to call the Neptune Society. Do you know who the Neptune Society is?
2: Uh, You mentioned it, but tell us again before. What is it?
3: Well, the Neptune Society is the oldest organization in America that sells cremations, and they've been around for about 70 years. Well, in 1979, when I finally got real people on the air. that was going from being unemployed to getting massive amounts of money every week. The first thing I thought about was, you know, with my luck, you know, I in my act, I used to do a whole long thing about bad luck. And one of my first jokes about my luck was so bad, if I bought a cemetery plot, I'd drown at sea. But in any event, once... I, we got real people, and we had to get, get on a plane. I thought, you know what, just my luck. <laughs> now that I'm joined, well, this thing is going to crash. Well, when it didn't, and I got back home, first thing I did, I called Neptune Society. And at that time, you could pay $400 for a cremation, and even if you lived to be 89, they would never raise the price. And I didn't get it. But this time I thought, well, I'm 89 now. or getting to be 89. So I called them. And for $2,400, they do absolutely everything. Oh, wow. Now, my wife, who is a few years younger than I am, but looks half of my age. She looks fantastic. She wanted to be buried. And about... Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It was 50 years ago, I guess, when her father died. He was just a very, very young, good-looking man. He looked like Cesar Romero. I mean, really, really handsome. He looked like Anthony Quinn, dark hair, great teeth. But before he died, he had bought a plot for himself and his wife. And mm-hmm. we had the receipt for the plot. But 20 years ago, Sarita's mother died. And they recharged her for the plot. Oh, so geez. anyway, my wife said, listen, honey, I I want to be buried like my parents. But what I will do, let's get a, a good mortuary here, and a good cemetery in Las Vegas. This is one close by, on just <laughs> a few blocks away in Eastern Avenue. And she said, I'll go there. We'll find a, a plot. And I don't want any kind of service or anything and I'll keep your box of ashes, and they'll just put it in there. So I said, and she asked me if I would call them. So I called the Palm Mortuary. It was the most upsetting phone call I'd ever had. I talked to them three different times, an hour and a half each time, and they had to keep, the lady had to keep reading from a book of rules about what it was. john, john finally what to... it came down,
2: I hate to interrupt you, but we, we, we have a caller on the line. You want to take a call?
3: Oh, oh okay. We, uh, put the caller on because that's more important. That's right. I, I got the okay, call, call, of call, this
2: story. Yeah, oh, call, you're, call you're on the air. Caller, You're on the air. Hi, John.
3: Hi, John. Hello. Hi. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. And who was this? This is Felix. Felix! Oh, Felix, bless your heart. Oh, my God. You are so terrific. The stuff that you post and the pictures that you send, I absolutely love. I cannot thank you enough. You cheer me up every single day. Awesome. You know what? I just wanted to tell you
6: that you have lived an amazing, blessed, and charmed life
3: you know what say, hey he's hey, blood. hang on a second, <laughs> hey, hey, hang on a second. I wouldn't say it's a a a charmed life <laughs> when you're born in a salvation Army ward unwanted by either parent and the father abandons you when you're six and the and the mother runs off with a bunch of uncles. Uncles came to my house like they were grapes. They came in bunches. So I was on the street when I was six, but I wouldn't call that charmed. But I would say I have lived accidentally the most interesting life of any human being that I can name or that I can think of. All of these magical things that happened to me were totally unplanned, Felix. And if you read my book carefully four times, I say that these things could have only happened to me because of divine intervention. Now, I was an atheist when I was 12. But when I was a little older, I realized, hey, I have no proof that there is no God And I have no proof that there is, so I'll have to just be an agnostic and sit on the sidelines and wait till we discover it. But I must tell you, somehow or another, there has been divine intervention in my life. And I can tell you a couple of stories as we go along. But I would like to get back to the closing thing about my wife. John,
6: John, quick question. Sure. Sure. Is there still time for me to place a bet on your Deadpool of your back <laughs>
3: golfing boat? Is there still time?
7: You know, place
3: a they, bet? You, yeah, you know that they used to do that in the seventies. They have used to have these death pools, and then they went up, out of favor for some reason. But what would you bet on? I mean, what, uh, who would take the bet? And what would you bet? Uh, listen, I have the feeling
2: that I'm going to live forever. Hey I John, 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 so John, good. I, I know you. And you are John. I hate to interrupt you. And Felix, I, if, I, I don't want me to cut you off. But John, we have a very special call from California for you. Can you, can you what? put that call on the line? You're not going to want to hey, miss John. this. Okay. Hello. It's John. Hello? Yes. John, you there?
6: It's
7: yeah. Yes calling to say happy birthday to you happy
3: birthday dear john Uh, oh my gosh oh my gosh bless your oh my gosh to both of you listen you made me so so happy about four years ago when out of the blue on a sunday afternoon i'm lying in bed and the phone rings and i pick it up and it's you mike and you're saying that you and shelly are halfway taking turns in reading to one another from my book, both laughing and crying. I must tell you, God bless you. <laughs> Why am I saying God bless you when I'm a non-believer? But God bless you. It was. It, it, oh, you have no idea how happy you made me. And then when I got the opportunity to uh, ah to talk to you, hey. Listen, Shelley, yes. yes. would you, I you know, I've done 18 of the talking movies so far, and they're very, very successful, and I just love doing them because I love talking about movies, and we do a show every second Saturday. Shelley, I hate to say this, I've only had three women on the show, and the last woman I had on was Donna Mills, who will be on the next show. Would you be a guest on one of the shows?
7: I'd be happy to do that, John. I'd be honest. I'd be happy. Oh
3: my gosh. Oh, you made my day again because I've been <laughs> search I've been searching for women who would be t- and you would be wonderful. And oh my gosh, how on earth did you know it was my birthday?
2: A bird. Yeah. <laughs> lots of surprises john lots of surprises for you
3: oh my gosh i wish i could hug you both i almost have tears in my eyes you made me so happy
2: well that's what you my really did have. that's so kind of well it's so kind of you mike and shelly it's thrilling for me to know you're on the other line big fan you know i've, I've interviewed paul peterson your co-star a couple times and uh big fan of your work and uh both of you it's it's so nice of you to call in I know I know John's thrilled.
3: Well, I'm beyond thrilled. I'm I'm moved, honestly. I'm totally moved. Thank you both.
7: <laughs> well, from the
3: but bo- from the bottom of my very happy heart.
7: Okay. A great happy celebration. <laughs> A happy, happy day, John and thank well, you,
3: you dude. You're
7: fabulous and wonderful and we're still laughing at what we first read in
2: your book. So
3: it goes a long way. <laughs> oh,
7: thank you. <laughs> and, thank and just you to remind much. the
2: audience, in case the, the audience listening, uh, just I don't know if you caught your names pretty quickly, is Mike Farrell, former star of MASH, and Shelley Fabris, who was the star of The Donna Reed Show, and had a huge hit uh, back in the day, Johnny Angel. So just And started at least yes. at least one Elvis movie. I was watching it not that long ago. Was it one Elvis three. movie or two? Three? Oh, three. wow. It
7: was three, yes. <laughs> but thank you for watching the two.
2: Thank you. And, <laughs> oh,
7: and
2: then coach. Yes. And coach, oh, and coach. Yeah. I but forgot. That. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so long for so us. It's wonderful that you took time out to call in to to John, and uh, we're having like a cyber birthday party for him. Wonderful. Longtime fans of John. And Absolutely. Happy to be friends of John.
8: I ditto.
7: Thank,
2: thank you.
8: Ditto, ditto.
2: <laughs> Love kisses
3: you. Kisses and song. kisses. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank okay. you, wonderful. John. Thank you so, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you okay. Bye. thanks
3: well, there you go john wow well, donald i am I'm absolutely staggered, absolutely <laughs> staggered because you know years ago when I was doing an internet show, and I was always a fan of Mike Farrells, and I almost got on Mash by the way, and uh he was one of the first guests that I had on. The show. So when I did talking movies again, oh my God, that man is just an absolute wonderful, total human being yes, and a he fabulous is. talent. And it's a great, great marriage. Oh my God, it's so wonderful. So thank, you. thank you. I'm stunned. I'm listen. The whole. I don't. It doesn't matter what we do for the rest of the hour and a half. That just made my day and made my life, honestly. Well,
2: well, hopefully there are more surprises to come, so we'll see. But uh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your show, but it, uh, your show, your no, your, that's our your, your, your story. Get, okay, I
3: just get I'll just get back to the story of yeah. uh, of that. So, in any event, when I finally uh, uh, got the lady to get to the end of the book after hours and hours of her having to refer to the book and the rules. Um, I said, look, what my wife wants is a plain pine box in an a, a, a obscure spot uh, at your cemetery, and you're going to put it in the ground. There's not going to be a service, and you're going to open the casket, and you're going to stick in my box of ashes. It takes exactly 90 seconds to open a casket, put it in the box, and close it. So what is the bottom price? Get to the bottom price of this. And she said, well, with the service. And I yelled at her. I said, Jesus, I told you there is no service. Just stick her in the ground. (laughs) So I said, just tell me the price. I said, listen. Oh, and you know what she said? Um, She said, uh, I was calling her on a Thursday. And she said, you know, we have a special until Sunday. And I said, hold it. And then I said, hang on a second. So I turned to my wife and said, hey, honey, can you die by Sunday? They're going to give us a special if you do. And the the lady said, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. And I said, well, you just said it. And I said, listen, we're both alive. And I said, I'm not talking because I'm grieving over somebody who died, because that's what you people leech on is their emotion. (laughs) Give me the bottom. And, you know, I never raised my voice, honest to God. I never, and that's the first time in years I was so offended. So I said, give me the bottom line. She said, it is $25,000. And I said, okay, that's no service. It's a plain buying box, no plaque on the box, nothing Okay, and it's $25,000. And she said, yes. Okay, so now tell me how much additional it's going to take once you put the box in the ground and the grave digger opens the lid and slides in my ashes. Takes 90 seconds. I've timed it. I said, how much is that? She said, I have to get back to you. (laughs) (laughs) She hung up. She went off to look at the rules again. She called me back she She said, "It is three thousand dollars extra and I said, "Hold it a minute for ninety seconds of work, we went from twenty five thousand to twenty eight thousand and she said, "Unfortunately, yes, and I said, "No, fortunately, lady, because you just saved me." twenty eight thousand dollars and I hung up. So I turned to my wife and I said, Angel, if you really want to be buried, you're gonna have to hunt for your own grave site. I'll give you a list of all the crema- I'll give you a list of all the cemeteries and you can make the phone calls. And she said, No, honey, do me a favor. And I said, What? She said, "Would you call Neptune Society for me?" <laughs> so we called Neptune Society, and for twenty four hundred bucks, we took care of her too. So my son will now be saddled with two boxes of ashes to do whatever he wants to do with them.
2: <laughs> so, well, wasn't well, you? You probably so. remember remember. Uh, you were right in your prime when that book was The American Way of Death. Was it Rachel McCullers or something like that? What was it? What, remember that? There was a huge bestseller that exposed the yes. funeral industry yep. back in the day. Oh,
3: my God. Yes. It was a monster bestseller. And, you know, that's in the time when books did something. Remember Silent Spring, Rachel Carlson? Yes, yes, She's yes. the one that made us aware of, of pollution in the environment. And yeah. then it was a, uh, up in Sinclair's the jungle that gave us fresh uh, yes. food. Yeah, I mean, I start,
2: uh, oh I my got, god, I got published. I got published about fifty years too late, John, because I, <laughs> I may have been able to make oh, some money my god. Us, back when you had readers.
3: <laughs> oh my god, you would have been absolutely massive then, you because. I mean your your survival of the richest. Not only is that one of the greatest titles of a book, Survival of the Richest, a play a play on survival of the fittest. That is so American. And then the chapter alone on Huey Long is worth the price of the book. And I love your new book on on borrowed fame. You're just really, really good at what it is you do. But you know what? I, I was talking the other day about the fact that the second most popular person in America right now is supposed to be Donald Trump. In 1950, <laughs> when I came to this country, do you know who the second most popular American was?
2: Uh, Joe DiMaggio. I don't know.
3: Joe DiMaggio was number one. That's a good oh, guess. Okay. <laughs> number two. Number two was Albert Einstein. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine in Uh this dumbed-down society today, you probably can't find people who know who Albert Einstein is. (laughs) Could you imagine applauding an intellectual anymore in this country? This
2: country is over with. Well, I I mean, it's, you know. I neglected to ask you a question earlier because I didn't expect this, but. Uh, Someone wants to know, what do you think uh, of—I didn't expect the news of Abraham Baldwin being pardoned. I can't believe Biden actually did something like that, but apparently he's pardoned Abraham Baldwin. What what do you think of that?
3: Well, first of all, you have to say it's about time. But I'll tell you, we have a joint friend. Her name is Marianne Manley. She is an attorney. She is by far one of the brightest human beings that I have ever run across. And uh, I have a friend, Joe Satilli, who publishes the best news letter in America every day. And it's called News Vandal. And he was yes. the one that found the article in People Magazine, which I forwarded to you about the pardon. Yes. And Marianne Manley, I believe if I can quote the post properly, she said, more than a pardon he was deserved an apology for being framed. Absolutely. And she's the only one who said that publicly because that man was framed. And as far as Biden, you know, if he's not releasing the files, it's a bunch of bullshit. Listen, Mm -hmm. Biden, uh, uh, so he pardons a guy and nothing is going to happen. And you know what they're having? They're having another kappa, another useless, wasted... (sighs) (laughs) JFK conference in 2022 in Dallas. Another monumentally masturbating waste of time. I mean, it's so easy to get to the bottom of everything that's wrong in this country just by reversing Bill Clinton's Communication Act of the 90s. that put 95% of all our media into the hands of six Monopoly Corporation. Because, listen, if you, uh, I think I may have mentioned this to you before. Uh, it was in one of my talking movie shows when I had you and Lena Sanek on as a guest. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did two shows because I had a couple of really bright, bright uh, uh, fans out there who said, listen, John. You know, you've got the two best documentaries about the assassination of John Kennedy that showed Jim Garrison solved the case and he was sabotaged. But you know what? Now, uh, Oliver Stone has this four hours out that would have to improve just to be boring. He said there's absolutely nothing in it that's new, but there is a long history of good, interesting films, executive action. um all kinds of really good stuff. Why don't you get Lena Sinek and Donald Jeffries together and do a show on it? Well, the show the show was so good, we ended up doing part one and part two. But you may recall that I had asked you, speaking of the free press, had you ever heard of Father Cogland? So since oh, you yes. know who I'm talking about, you have to say yes. And yes. you heard it from me. So yes. explain who Father Coughlin was.
2: Well, Father Coughlin was the, the famed radio priest. He had a huge audience and uh, you've compared him like to Rush Limbaugh and people. He, he had that kind of an audience, but he was uh, a mesmerizing character and he was uh, obsessed with mostly Jews, but uh, he, he was, uh, you know, it would obviously be considered a, you know, <laughs> a disreputable character today by most people, but he had a huge audience back then. And John Barber, Listened to him religiously Even though he wasn't religious And, uh... and uh, you know what mm-hmm. I listened to him when
3: I was Six years old in Canada So that's 1939 Now right. on the radio you had the Walton Ranger, you had the Shadow You had Hermit's right. Cave Fibra McGee and Molly, Jack Benny, Bob Hope I listened to all of them But the one that I never missed was Father Coughlin right. He hated Jews and he hated blacks yes, he Okay did. so He had one of the most popular radio shows in America at the time. Now this was around 1940, but then when the war started, of course they, they got rid of him. Now in listening to him, it was like theater to me, but I never grew up hating a black or hating a Jew. I grew up hating the Father Coughlins. <laughs> and I could right. see Father Coughlin and every single president in this country for the last 80 years, with the exception of John Kennedy and Jimmy Carter.
4: Really quickly, they were John. All really quickly.
3: Evil quick. in some way or another. Right, really? And, you know, so I'm saying yeah. if you, <laughs> and, and we used to have what they call the fairness doctrine. Thank God for that, because when NBC uh, sabotaged Jim Garrison on the orders from the CIA and the FBI, who was the producer they sent down to sabotage him? Do you remember uh, his
2: name? It's uh, uh, a producer for is Garrison? Walter Sheridan? No, for NBC. Sheridan. Uh, yeah, Walter Sheridan. Yeah,
3: yeah Sheridan. Sure. Yeah. Walter Sheridan, okay. And... He is going to get Perry Raymond Russo a job in California for $50,000 a year to get him out of Garrison John jurisdiction.
2: John cuz ca- I know the yes. story goes on for like, We got another caller I I I don't want to uh you know leave them hanging too long. Okay. Can we take the call hey, Let's Listen take the call. You, yeah. you must take the callers first, honestly. Right? Yeah. Okay, really, callers. really you quickly,
4: to... I'm going to bring that caller on. I uh, just going to take me a quick second here, but you know, John, if you had listened to my interview of Abraham Bolden in 2015, I said exactly the same thing that Miss Manley did at the top of that show. Just so you know right. that she's uh, not well, the first one to say that bless your, publicly.
3: Bless your heart.
4: Because I said he's, he is damn well. Uh, entitled to an apology as well from the American government. If you listen right. to that, that's one of the first things before I even let him speak. But we got somebody else on the line and that
2: uh... a... call caller you're caller you're on the caller, you're on the line.
6: Well is this the great Don Jeffries, the great Chuck Ocelli and the
3: legendary John Barber?
2: Yes, and I know that voice. gosh, that boy
3: call <laughs> it that boy <laughs> sounds familiar. Who is that? I can name that voice in three notes. Why, it's the fellow who you you made me friends with, Don Jeffries, by asking me to have him on my Beatles, that's a big hint, my Beatles podcast. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Oh, my gosh. You do have a very distinctive and very nice voice, and thank you very much for calling in, and thank you for the work you do, and that Beatles stuff you do is fantastic. Yeah, well, whenever it's... I need to know about real people, if I need to know what happened to President Kennedy, or I need to hear a fascinating radio show that has on people like Joe McBride and Don Jeffries, I can only <laughs> go to one place. I can only go to the great John Barber. He's a guy <laughs> who's still got it going on. So happy birthday from Bob Wilson to you.
2: Absolutely. Oh, Bob Wilson, Bob. A legendary Thank Bob you. Wilson, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the king of bug music. John, you have uh, Chris Graves in the chat room says, Merry birthday, Mr. Barber. In a just and harmonious world, this day would be an international holiday. Long live the one true king.
3: Uh, oh, gosh. Thank you so much. That is really, really sweet.
2: Well, people love you. And again, I hate to keep interrupting your stories, but hopefully we're going to be getting more callers here, too. So,
3: Oh, uh, well, in, in any event, when we had the Fairness Doctrine and we had equal time, Uh, when uh, Perry Raymond Russo finally met with Sheridan, Garrison had asked him to wear a wire and he wore a wire. Now, this was the investigation into the murder of the president of the United States. And they were sabotaging the guy who was investigating it. And Sheridan should have been in jail NBC should have lost their license, but because there was equal time and we had this, oh, this criminal on tape, they had to give Garrison a half hour late night on NBC to explain how the Central Intelligence Agency murdered our president. And it's, you know, I remember a wonderful interview. With Mae Brussel, if you took all of the researchers in the world, everyone from Jim Mars to Joan Mellon and Dick Russell or Oliver Stone or myself or anybody else, put them all together, they don't come close to what Mae Brussel did. I mean, Mae Brussel was so close to Garrison. She was the one that did all the research for him on Clay Shaw and David Ferry. And did all the research, Everything. And uh, so nobody comes close to her except maybe Penn Jones. Penn Jones six uh, wrote six books called Forgive My Grief about oh. all of the people murdered who yes. were witnesses or had something important to say about the assassination. And one of the last shows they did together for May Brussels, she was so happy when they started the House Select Committee because she thought, oh, my God, finally we'll have the truth. And Penn Jones said, may I hate to dampen your enthusiasm. This country will never investigate the murder of John Kennedy. And one of the people who helped prevent it was Mark Lane, because Mark Lane was put in charge of all the researchers who would speak at the House Select Committee, and the two smartest in the country were Herman Skolnick in Chicago and Mae Bressel. And it was Mark Lane who put up a roadblock so they could never testify. And she would have brought to the House Select Committee all the facts that she gave to Jim Garrison. This country is an occupied country. And it In ha- truth was, it has been before the murder of John Kennedy. Because what we're beginning to realize now that every presidential candidate, every candidate for high political office in this country, congressperson, senator, or governor, is pre-screened by the CIA and the intelligence community. Who was the Mm -hmm. governor of Minnesota? Guy that's on Russian television now. Uh, Jesse Ventura. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. The first thing that happened to Jesse, this wonderful independent, becomes the governor of Minnesota. He is visited by eight CIA agents. This minute he takes the oath of office, they come into his office to interview him. That's the first meeting he ever had. And listen, there is no deep state in America anymore. America is the deep state. You can look at any aspect of American life. The largest CIA office, of course, is Langley, Virginia. The second largest is uh, Hollywood, California. The third largest is Las Vegas, Nevada. The two entertainment capitals of the world. That's what they take over so they can misinform the world about the rest of the world.
2: Well we, it, we get it, we, we, we got another we got another caller, Jen. Caller? Okay. Call her caller. Caller.
3: <laughs> caller. you're on the line. Go ahead.
6: Hey, John, you, you gotta take a breath. We we love you. It's your day. <laughs> don't worry don't worry about the deep state. <laughs> that's,
3: that's funny. Okay. I took a breath and to whom John, am I speaking?
6: This is Chris Graves. I got the weird uh, the weird name on the Oh, on my Facebook God, there. Chris.
2: John, he's an incredible researcher. He gives me so much information. It's unbelievable. He's, he really, he's been such a help to me. It's Listen, incredible. There,
3: there is no better researcher producing the kind of stuff that Chris produces. I do not know how he has the time to even go to the bathroom. I mean, my email and my messenger is flooded every single day with at least a dozen and a half YouTube's that I should be watching, and the days are just not long enough. Chris, you must get your own podcast so yes. you can bother the entire world and not just a couple of friends.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll take that into consideration. Especially coming from music. Okay,
3: and, and, and and what was the title of the show I said that you should have?
6: Yeah, well I, I wanted to do a uh, kind of an anti late night talk show uh called One Week Closer to Death with Chris Graves. And you weren't <laughs> a fan of that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: there you go. Anyway, Chris, thank you, thank you very yeah, much. And I great. hope you do Happy that birthday.
6: show. But Thanks, I wanted to guys. ask you one thing.
3: You know, sure.
6: Would you would you ever um consider doing like maybe a one off special of the talking movies dedicated to uh the world of stand up comedy and also maybe another one off in the world of uh JFK research. I remember I, I mentioned that to you before. Um, as like two other podcasts, uh, besides talking movies, but even if it was only like one-offs, I, I would, re- I'd be fascinated. So I uh, just throwing well, it out there. If it,
3: if, uh, if, uh, obviously it'd be a terrific idea to be doing a uh, talking movies, um, about some of the researchers. And of course, uh, you'd have to lead off with, uh, Mark Lane, because of his rush to judgment. And because of that, you could bring in May Russell was never in, in a movie. Dick Russell was never in a movie. So that makes it very difficult, but you could fudge a little. Uh, but there, are, there are a half a dozen, oh, there, there, there are two dozen great unheralded researchers out there and their work will literally vanish. And disappear, sadly, because nothing, absolutely nothing, will be done about the murder of John Kennedy. Nothing. Well, you
6: could shine a light on their work. Uh, if anyone well, could do well, it, would yeah, you.
3: Yeah, yeah. Listen, I'll tell you something. Um, the last hour I did with Donald Jeffries and Leno O'Sanek was almost a monologue on my part. And I said in that hour, and if you go to YouTube, I forget what show number it is. It might be number 18, but it was show number two uh, of talking movies about JFK movies. And I said, you don't have to go to any book or to any film, including mine. This hour says everything you absolutely need to know about the murder of John Kennedy and the solved sabotage case of Jim Garrison. It's who planned it, who gave the final orders to Alan Dulles to, to off the President of the United States, who covered it up. And I mean it that one hour is the only hour you'd need. And in it, for reasons that are personal, I hammered Oliver Stone. Because I, you know, the four things that I'm, I, attract me to a person intelligence, wit. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <true. laughs> uh, uh, character. Okay, there are four of these things, but character trumps them all. There is no question that Oliver Stone is a monumental talent. He has monumental intelligence. I don't know if he has any wit at all, because I've seen no evidence of it. But from personal experience, to me, he has no character. And I talk about why in that particular hour. And I'm not going to repeat it today, because I don't like to talk negatively about people. But at the end of that hour, I said, there's only one person in this country that I believe can help solve this. Now, the last year at CAPA's conference, I was the principal speaker. And the host of it, John, again John, is John I hate you.
2: John, what? I hate you because we're going to a break at 7 o'clock. We're at the top of the hour. So uh, we're going to have to k- catch it up on the other side. And I'm sure we're going to have lots we more. We love you, fun. John.
6: Thank,
2: Thank Chris. you, Chris. I'll get Thank you to so happy so.
3: birthday. After. Here's yeah. to
6: 88 more, okay? Thank you. And take <laughs> care. This
3: is important. What yeah. I have to say now is important, so we we'll get to Absolutely. it after the
2: break. Okay, we'll we'll be right back after the. Happy words. birthday, John. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Thank be you right- so much, Chris. We'll be right back.
3: This is Ron Paul. You're listening to The Donald Jeffrey Show.
9: In a time of fake news, fake politicians, and fake fiat currency, it's getting
5: harder to find the genuine article. That's why when it comes to precious metals, I call the team I can trust. This is David Knight from my friends at Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Proudly veteran-owned and operated, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange is your home for gold and silver coins, bullion, jewelry, and more. Prices and inventory are updated daily, so you get the most competitive possible pricing. And when it's time to sell your gold and silver items, they pay top dollar. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange also accepts and deals in Bitcoin. Call or text the owner, Tony Arterburn, today at 888-667-1836. That's 888-667-1836. Or just go to wisewolf.gold. From bullion to Bitcoin. Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange.
0: Wise Wolf Gold and Silver
4: Exchange. Go ahead, caller. Yeah, I'm
1: interested in the truth about the JFK assassination. Right.
4: Well, what do you want to know? Judy
1: Baker's wild claims. Oswald girlfriend. She knew Ruby and Barry. Cancer weapons. Really?
4: I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay.
1: Oswald was on the kill team and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now. Has a real effort on the JFK assassination Book into her claims. Go to
4: Amazon.com. Enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at, well, (laughs) a different perspective, let's say. You can get Judith Berry Baker in her own words from the author himself signed, if you request it, by contacting Dr. Brown at K-I-A-S-J-F-K at AOL.com. It's a fun book and it actually dissects the many, many fantastic claims. Judith Berry Baker
3: in her own words. Thank you for all the great information. Hi there, this is John Barbara, and you're listening to the most informed man in America, my friend, fellow author, and raconteur, the great Donald Jeffries Show.
1: Wall Street window.com. Gold, silver, the stock market. Wall Street window.com. Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. Wallstreetwindow.com. Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge.
2: Wallstreetwindow.com.
1: Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. Go there now
5: do you like history real history that you were never taught in schools why the vietnam war Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia by author Mike Swanson with new documentation never seen before that'll open your eyes to events that led up to this. Why? The Vietnam War. Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia 1945 through 1961. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. Why? The Vietnam War. By author Mike Swanson.
7: Revelation
1: through conversation. <laughs>
7: Revelation through conversation.
8: You are listening
1: to The Donald Jeffries Show.
2: And welcome back to The Donald Jeffries Show. I believe we have a caller. Do we not, Chuck? Caller, are you there?
8: Happy birthday. This is Sarah Westall.
3: I am. Oh, hi, Sarah. But I needed to call anyway. Oh, my God. Sarah. Oh, well, Angel, it's been, I think, three years since I heard that fabulous voice. You are an absolute gem. I'm one of your biggest fans and I'm totally and thrilled that you called in. Thank you so much.
8: You're welcome. It's, you are a national treasure. So, of course, I was going to call in. I'm a little later than I wanted to be. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I got to get on. And so I just, I, I'm, I'm here because I have to be. It's your birthday. And it's oh. amazing. You are amazing.
3: That's oh, great. thank you. I wish I could have you. Thank you so much.
2: Sarah, you are yeah, so cool. I can't she... for
8: your big day. You guys got a birthday
2: party going on live here. Yes, we got a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cyber party. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That? He's actually, his his, his actual, his actual. Oh, your your dog saying happy birthday. Your, his actual birthday was the twenty fourth, so it's three days late. But I don't do a show every day oh, like you. Okay, so. well
8: because they did happy birthday. I think I saw that on Facebook and I commented.
2: Yeah. Yeah. that's so it's, it's, Well, it's great. And I wrote, I, well, it's wonderful. It's been too long, Tara. We're going to catch up, too. But I, I appreciate you calling. And we, we actually have another caller lined up after this, John, if you're ready to take another call.
3: Go ahead, Sarah.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Sarah, thank you. Sarah, thank you. I don't want to let you go, but thank you. Thank you. Okay. A caller we have another caller on the line.
9: Is this the number I call to get remunerated for wishing What's-His-Name a happy birthday? Oh, my (laughs) God, almighty. Stu, how
7: are you?
9: Hi, What's-His-Name. Happy birthday for the 80th time. How many times have we (laughs) talked since it was your actual birthday?
3: Oh, my gosh. Oh, Stu, listen, Donald, i got to tell you, you know, if it were not for Stu... I would not even have a website anymore because David Lesby a few years ago, went down the Trump rabbit hole, uh, down the Trump toilet. He didn't like a couple of my jokes about his idol, Donald Trump. He trashed everything, and it was lost. Forty years of my work and tape and everything and I got a call from Stu, whom I barely knew or heard of, and he asked me if I had my films and videos still. And he said, good, I'm going to rebuild your site. Not only did he rebuild my site, I'd been on his show three or four times, had unbelievable reaction to it. I'm going to do three hours live with him again this Saturday which will be the best three hours I have ever done on television. And I must tell you, if you have an opportunity, if you hear about it, there are three great show business documentaries. The best is Searching for Sugar Man. Uh, The second best is the one I did about Ernie Kovacs, called Ernie Kovacs, Television's Original Genius. One is coming out on May 2nd, simply called Stu Shostak, the worst title ever for a great documentary, okay? (laughs) And I'm not going to say any more about it, because I'm going to review it on his show on Saturday night. Stu, I owe my life, my present life to you. I cannot thank you enough.
9: Well, it's a pleasure knowing you and growing up in the – 60s and 70s and watching you on local LA TV slam every movie you saw uh, was a treat uh, following you from channel to channel because you insulted the people that you worked for on those same reviews it was a it was so much fun to see and to take bets with my friends as to what channel in LA you'd end up on next
3: so it was
9: it was a lot of fun uh, well, I've got to tell. Our, I also have.
3: I also have to tell the audience. There's only one person in America, who is doing what Stu Shostak does. He is the only chronicler of vintage, classic American television, and he is so good at what he does that for over seven years. When Lucy was retiring and she was transferring all of her stuff to video, it was only Stu Shawstack that she would work with. He is an unknown treasure. That's why the title of his documentary should have been other than Stu Shawstack, which I'll and get yes, to I on will, Saturday.
9: I, I will. I will be remaining unknown for the rest of my okay. life.
3: <laughs> no, you will not. Not after this documentary comes up, believe me. You know, that's it very kind and, of you to
9: say. The uh, uh, initial reviews have been through the roof. That's why I'm a little scared that you liked it, John, because you don't like anything. So we'll <laughs> we'll see what happens hey, when it's hey, released.
3: Hey, <laughs> let me tell you something. When I saw Star Wars, I did not like it because it was a comic book. But this is what I said on the air. If I were an investor, I would rush out right now and I will buy 20th Century Fox stock. Because this comic book won't be just comic book one. It'll be Star Wars two. It'll be Star Wars three. It'll be Star Wars four. And then when I finish the review the next day, I went to next to Larry Edmonds bookstore on Hollywood Boulevard across the Russell So Frank was a toy store. And I went in there and they had four of these rubber masks you could pull over your head. It was Chewbacca and the other three, whoever they are. And I paid $300 for them. So I took them home. I had them for two days and I thought, you know, I think I'll go in and buy another four. I went in, and the guy offered me six hundred to buy them back, and I still have them, and they're worth a fortune today. A fortune. You still have them. So, now. you still have them now? Yes, and I, I, I tell my—I bought them for my son. Now my son is in uh, Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, he's the new executive producer of the new Criminal Minds. And so anyway, I'm telling him, Christopher, these are yours. Please take them. I don't want them in my house. He said, No, Dad, take care of them for me. And so we, ha- I look at them every day, and it's, John, I'm staring at the fortune.
9: John, yes, you realize yes. if you used those 12 years ago, you'd still be living in that mansion that you had that you moved. <laughs> <from>. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, thanks to the worst president in American history, uh, All Bill right, let's not get it. Don, Don, let's not
2: get him started, please. Oh, I, I I'm trying. To- I try to keep him on show business because he's got more than enough to talk about there, but he keeps going to Jim Garrison and everything. That's just I know, he- I know. And I've warned
9: <laughs> him about when he's doing my show Saturday. By the way, we're recording the show Saturday in front of a live audience via Zoom, but it will air a week from today, right now, as a matter of fact, at stewshow.com. I've warned him, you know, we're doing movie reviews and we're doing segments on, on, on a pilot that he tried to sell after he left Real People. And it's all great stuff. But he'll figure out a way between the movies and the real people stuff to get JFK mentioned on the show. (laughs) He will find a way to do it. (laughs) and I've gotten letters from my viewers saying please can you have him on once without mentioning JFK and I said impossible impossible and if it's not JFK it will be CIA it will be some combination of uh, initials that will get that you know I stubbed my toe the other day and I said to him I hurt my toe he says well that's the CIA's fault I told you
3: uh, anyway i can't wait to see you too yeah. yeah me too john I love, I love
9: you and uh we'll have a good time and don thank you for letting me be part of this birthday celebration oh, what's this okay. guy's name again i keep
2: forgetting oh john Barber. Yeah. John Barber. Well, thanks for calling in Stu, and I, I hope i can eventually get on your show the guy's got a waiting list years you long can. So. i'm
9: gonna read your book and then i'm gonna read your book and then i'll have you on the show there's it's, it's a done deal Don
2: wonderful i I, i'm looking forward because john is john has raved about you and i we really appreciate you calling in
9: thank you so much happy birthday again john for the 80th time i think you're actually 140 now with all the (laughs) see
3: you later guys okay bye-bye okay let me let me just finish this point yeah at the end of the hour that i get so now i'm back to jfk and jim garrison But back to this hour, that is the only hour. It's free. You don't have to buy a book. You don't have to buy a film. Look at this hour. It's everything you simply need to know. So at the end of the hour, this is a suggestion I make after bashing Oliver Stone. And that is that he is the only one, I believe, who can literally save America. And he can only do it in this way. I mean, in his new documentary, he doesn't give us an idea of what to do. He doesn't get, how do we solve it? I mean, it's a useless, wasted four hours that everybody knows about. Instead of trying to convince some president or congressperson or senator to release the CIA file from the outside, I have suggested that Oliver well, listen. We had a really bad actor, unintelligent Ronald Reagan become president of the United States. We could have a truly talented, very intellectual Oliver Stone run for the Senate or Congress in California and run only on this platform that he will release all of the CIA files and he will reverse the Communications Act, giving us now a free press. He's not going to talk about unemployment, he's not going to talk about global warming, those two things. If he does that, he will get more votes than any politician in the history of this country because there isn't a man or a woman out there, regardless if they're on the right or the left or the middle, who doesn't know that the American government and the American media is absolutely and totally full of shit. So I would hope that he takes my advice and runs and wins. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show mm. William Shakespeare.
4: John, I'm before you, uh, you before you of... go, John, what? before you go into the Shakespeare story, uh first of all I want to steal two minutes and remind people that we still have open lines. Uh three one nine five two seven five zero one six, but I need to steal two minutes of Don's show. Okay, and tell you something directly, which I I told you the first time in 2014, and quite frankly, uh, I don't know if you remember, but I'm going to tell you now. Thing is this, um, all of the media that I do, whether I'm producing a show or I'm speaking on a show, uh, everything, here's the thing, we, we talk as musicians about our influences, uh, it is literally Because people ask me all the time You know, John Barber said this or that And how is it that you don't You never seem to go after anything John Barber says or does You you, you just you, you forgive him, you love him, don't you And uh, that's an unusual situation Because I generally am critical And nasty critical of just about everybody um, And I say Yeah, you guys don't understand when John put out real people When John put out the Garrison tapes And I got a hold of a VHS copy of it Many, many years ago When John did what he did in media This guy is one of my Core influences He is, whether he wants to uh, own it or not I don't know But is uh, really literally partially responsible For the fact that I do what I do And I'm not a star uh, with that. Uh, I, You know, I'm not a big star Nobody really, you know, I'm not, I'm known around the world, but not well known, right? But it doesn't matter. I don't think, John, you recognize or understand exactly how many people you influenced, how many people you gave the idea to that they could study, not just the big issues well, just, of the day, but, but also regular yeah, people.
3: Re- hold it. Just a, yes. just a minute. We all have idols. I got lucky. My two idols were Jack Parr and Edward R. Murrow. Jack Parr was by far the greatest talk show host in the history. I mean, Carson, none of these people come close to that man. And I didn't know that you could earn a living just talking to people. I thought people punched one another or swore at one another. But in order for Jack Parr to have that show, he did a Mm stand-up. I was 30 years of age when I thought, well, I'd like to do that. And I didn't know that I could write jokes, but I just sat down and wrote them. So, PAR became an inspiration to me. Now, I lucked out and got, listen, I was unemployed and unemployable at 46. (laughs) And then by accident, a year later, I have the number one show in the country. And when I was 45 and on the verge of being unemployed, I did an interview with Maury Gelman at the uh, Daily Variety, and I said this unknown Canadian is going to change the face of American television with what I call the entertainment of reality. Right, and everybody laughed at me. Okay, so yeah, I got I got lucky, and you saw me, and you'd say that I inspired you. I'm listen. We're all inspired by somebody else, and I have told this to a couple of parents who have trouble with their children. And they're always telling their children what to do. And I said to them, don't you tell your child what to do ever, ever. All you have to do is set an example and your child will imitate you. And that's all America has to do. America is not a democracy. It is a corporatocracy. But if America were a democracy and lived up to being a democracy, it wouldn't have to shove democracy down the throat of Vietnam or Iraq or any place else with a gun. They would be stealing our system. Do you know that Ho Chi Minh mm-hmm. in Vietnam in the 50s drafted the constitution that he would have if he became the prime minister of the North and the South together. And it was drafted on Thomas Jefferson's Bill of Rights and our Constitution. You will never learn that in an American school. And we invaded him, but that was another fake war, but I don't wanna get into that. I wanna get into the Shakespeare story. Cause right. well- it does tell you something about, don't interrupt me with another caller. Oh No, no, I no, 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 no not,
4: not another caller. Just, okay. just one last thing, though, John, and then I'll shut off my microphone, I promise. It's just that here's the thing. You got me to imagine what media could be. It wasn't even necessarily about what you were doing, but you actually inspired the idea that, you know what, we can take this into other directions. We don't have to uh, comply. We can just create these things in a unique an organic way, which is what you did. So that's all I'm saying. Well,
3: yeah, Chris, you weren't even Chris, no, you this were is Chuck. probably not even born <laughs> when Edward R. Moreau said it better than any of us. In the fifties, Edward R. Moreau said it's the un, it is the electronic umbilical cord that could feed the world useful information or destroy it. And it is destroying it. So now I'm gonna tell my Shakespeare story. Fair enough. Okay. I'm in the I'm I've snuck back into the United States. I've already been deported, but I miss California. You know, we all have a geographical G spot where we are at our happiest. And I was at my happiest in Hollywood, California. And even after being deported, I went back and I lived in exactly the same neighborhood because I was familiar with it. So I could have been caught again and deported again. And I was staying in an apartment complex and Carol Burnett happened to be staying in there at the same time with her mother, but I didn't know it. In any event, I wondered, here I am about 18 and 19 years of age, and I am wondering how, what can I do to become so important that I might become an American citizen? And I racked my brains, and I couldn't think of it. I mean, I, there was nothing. I couldn't become famous overnight. Or, and then I thought, hold up, maybe I can. Do you guys remember a show called The $64,000 Question?
2: I've heard of it. It was before Donald, my time, but I've heard, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. it was uh, okay.
3: Just, hey. Okay. On the cover of Time Magazine, this is how popular that show was was the guy who was going after the $64,000 question, an intellectual and a teacher named Charles Van Doren. How can I remember that after all these years? And I don't know what his subject was, but he was a rock star in America when Americans admired the Albert Einsteins of the world, the writers of the world, the artists of the world, something we no longer do. And this guy gets a cover of Time magazine. So I thought, hold it. Here I am, 19. What could I think of? What subject could I think of that I could master quickly and get on a show like the $64,000 question? Well, being a fan of Shakespeare since I was a kid... I thought, I just fell in love with the language. Shakespeare, I believe, was born on April 26th. I was born April 24th. So I thought we were somehow in tune, even as a kid. So what it is I did on Wilcox Avenue, about five blocks away, was the Central Library. I went down there every single day. And I read, and I uh, read, I bought these notebooks, three binder notebooks. First, I bought one, then I bought two. Then I had 12 of them, each of them with two or three hundred pages in them. I think there's 37 plays, and then they're all a the sonnet. And what I did with each play, I would pick one or two of the important lines on every single page and who had uttered them. And I would fill out uh, these binders with every single play and every single sonnet. Nobody on the planet knew more about William Shakespeare than this 19-year-old kid, because I just John, wanted to get John, on the- John, 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 you're, you're,
2: you're, you're gonna to want to be interrupted for this call, very special caller on the line. Ted, trust me. Okay, call her. Oh, it's on. Marianne. Call her, you're on the line.
8: Oh no, it's somebody much different.
2: Oh my
3: God, you're kidding. <laughs>
8: So, I have a question. The word is out that you have an older kid sister.
3: No, yes. it's a younger kid sister. Oh, no, my is, God. Oh, my God.
8: kid sister, and I am the older of the two.
3: Oh, well, there's eight. Hey, no, I must say, hey. Okay, Maggie, I must tell the audience what I have told a couple of intimate friends. I am, I am chronologically 89, but, and, but I am intellectually 5,000 years old, but emotionally I'm only eight. So there you go. I'm an emotional eight year old. And oh my God, Angel, I just love the sound of your voice and um, you must
7: sunrise.
3: just uh, you must fill that choir loft so beautifully with your singing well, you're a treasure thank
8: you so much but this is this is your your event so i i'm more than pleased I was thrilled that Donald uh, contacted me and gave me the number to call so once again my dearest brother i wish you uh the happiest year ahead um, good health, good fortune.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, Maggie, while I have you while I have you on the line yes. I have got to I've got to tell the audience how much it means to me to finally have you back in my life because when I uh was out on the streets again, also like Maggie unfortunately when I was six and spending most of my time in a rink or in a movie theater, or a library, or a jail. When I came to the United States, because of my intense dislike for both my absentee mother and absentee father, I deleted my entire family. So I almost, ne- I saw my sister a couple of times early in California, and she had, uh, was married to a sheriff's officer, she had wonderful children but i wasn't really that close and i didn't realize it until years and years later when i wrote your mother's not a virgin now my mother got rid of me so she could be visiting her my uncles by sending me to uh sudbury northern ontario to a uh, reform farm, as it were, for two or three years, which I loved. And I wrote about it in my book. But I had forgotten that my sister also, my younger sister, had been sent up there with me. And I didn't know that until I got an 11-page letter. And I must tell you, I'm a sucker to anybody who can write well. I had known, I'd forgotten my sister. I wasn't going to call her or anything like that. And I read that brilliant 11 page letter and I thought, I just have to call my sister and go see her again. So about four years ago, I hopped on a plane and went up to Vancouver and I hugged her so hard when I saw her. Yes, you
0: did.
8: Yeah, no,
3: I did, I did, and well, I can't tell you.
8: I, I appreciate you. that, and that you shared that, and. Um,
3: and you yes. know what, Angel? If, yes. uh, you know what, Angel? It's like I've never been without you. Isn't that weird? Yes, I know. That's a great say. Anyway, bless your heart, Angel. Hugs well, and kisses. You're
8: welcome, mm-hmm. and um, I again, I wish you, you know, all the best always, dear. I love you so much.
2: Uh, Okay, I'm going
8: to say goodbye now and let you get back to your audience.
2: (laughs) Thank thank you. Thank you you so much for calling, Maggie. It was very sweet of you. Thank you. You're very welcome, Donald.
8: I appreciate it. Yeah, so we'll talk soon, sweetheart.
3: Okay, Okay. thanks, Amy.
8: Bye-bye. Love you.
3: Love you more. Donald, that was so thoughtful. And that's the... I I said I don't want to be interrupted unless it's Marianne, but that's so special. And it is weird deleting her from my life for 50 years and now it's like I never missed her. Anyway, back to the sure. Shakespeare stuff. Sure. <laughs> so I have these 12 big folders just and all I do all day long is quote Shakespeare and then I would write questions to myself in the morning and then at night I'd look at the questions and see if I could answer them so I was conducting my own quiz and so I went to one of these places where you put in I think you put in a quarter at that time and you get four little pictures. And I dressed up real nice. I got the four pictures. I looked really terrific. Nineteen. Good looking. I looked like a little miniature Earl Flint for God's sake. In nineteen. So it looked good. <laughs> and then I sent this lovely letter to the producer's sixty four thousand dollar question. And then to ensure that they would pay attention to me, I found out the name of the sponsor. And the sponsor was Revlon. And the guy that owned Revlon was a guy named Charles Revson. How can I remember this? After all these years, this shit just with me. Anyway, I wrote to him. I wrote to him, found his address and wrote to him. And I sat down to wait for the mail that I knew would come to invite me to audition. And every single day I got up and mostly my breakfast was cornflakes because that's almost all I ate when I was a kid and my mother would leave me. So I had cornflakes all day long. So it's like the third day. It's in the morning. And on the news comes the fact that Charles Van Dorn has been fed the lines and the answers to the $64,000 question. And we now have, this is how America's changed. Not only is every single quiz show, 18 of them taken off the air, we now have congressional investigations into quiz shows and into television. I mean, that's what America was like when there was a free press now, you had about five years ago an NBC anchor man caught lying and they never fired him. They just gave him a show on MSNBC. That's how far down this country has degenerated. So I literally, I threw up my cornflakes all over the floor. I've never thrown up in my life. And there I was and I'm walking around. Oh, my God. Everywhere I went, now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by the sun of York, and all the clouds allowed upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean. I could That's all I did for weeks walking around, and then I got over it. Now comes about 14 years ago, uh, Redford, Robert Redford, makes um, the quiz show. Do you remember the movie?
2: Uh, Yes, I think so, yeah.
3: Okay, so, and and there's an Englishman, I forget his name, really good actor, who plays Charles Van Dorn. So it's playing at a a theater at a casino. Uh, It was the Green Valley Casino Theater. And so I always sit in the back, no matter from my days of credit, I sat at the back, because I just had to go watch the movie. And I'm sitting in the back, and as soon as I see Charles Van Dorn, I scream at the screen, "You
0: asshole!"
3: <laughs> and then get up and walk, get up and walk out. So to this day, that's why I'm one of the world's foremost experts on William Shakespeare. But that's what America was like at the time. They have congressional hearings,
2: for God's sake. Yeah, didn't in uh, television. Do- Dr. Joyce Brothers, I think, got her star. She was an expert on boxing or something yes, on one she of the did. shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah it,
3: yes, it was boxing. That's how she got her star. <laughs> I, I mean, that was the impact of television in those days. And that was the impact of a free press, having a free press, and having an open Congress that wasn't owned by America's corporations. But yeah. that's all gone, and you know, on September fifth, nineteen eighty-one, I'm thinking of Stu Shostak you now, because I'm thinking about Garrison and JFT, and I'm in New Orleans. I'm interviewing him, and at the we did three hours, three and a half hours on camera, and about five hours off of Cranmer, because often he would say, "John, I don't want this on camera. I'm only going to speculate." And the speculations were just so interesting. And so um, I said to him when the day was over, I said, Mr. Garrison, whatever made you think you could take on the federal government? And he said, John, I guess I made the mistake of thinking I was living in the country I was <laughs> right. born in.
2: Right, right.
3: And you know, I became, you know, you have no idea what I went. Why you do? Because you read the forward. You wrote the forward to my book. What right. I went through to become a citizen of this country in nineteen seventy-seven, and I had the greatest celebration. I mean, Senator John Tunney gave me my citizenship papers. You remember Charo Coug- Xavier Cugat Singer? Charo? Yes.
2: Yes, Remember yes, Cello? yes.
3: Absolutely. Coochie Coochie, sure. she <laughs> said, Yeah, Coochie Coochie. She <laughs> sang the anthem, national anthem to me at the party. It's the only party I ever had in my life was a party to get my citizenship wow. papers, and that was in 1977. And, you know, I am not living in the country I became a citizen of. I'm living in an occupied country. But I'll tell you something. Bette Midler I saw Bette Midler at the Universal Amphitheater in the mid 70s I was as a matter of fact the reason I went to see her is because Paul Williams hired me to be his opening act when Paul was going to play the Universal Amphitheater so I was his opening act uh, and and we were really good friends for a long time anyway in the middle of her act Bette Midler was singing uh, singing a song as he's around the world and 80 days around the world, I've searched for years. She was singing a song about the world. And she stopped in the middle of it. And you know what? She said, there isn't one place in the world that we could go safely that isn't fucked up. And that was <laughs> in 1970s. Okay. Can yeah. you imagine it now? <laughs> no, well, no. Where would you go? Yeah. There is no, no place to go. And so what is happening, people have to retreat into their own heads, and you can see the suicide rate rising right. in this country. You can see the divorce rate rising. You can see depression amongst teenagers, suicides amongst teenagers. This is probably the unhealthiest country in the entire world, and it's yeah, not going to get better. It's it would be. It would be. Yeah, it, you know what, it would, uh, it, because I, I often regret the fact that I didn't push, I, I you and I talked about this two or three years ago, that I, yeah, yeah I would love to write a book about the dirty dozen that would be called Myths America, M Y T H.
2: Yes, we yes, you Myth.
3: can talk about yes, yeah. It, they, oh, my God, because mm. there are so many myths about this country. And, you know, uh, uh, what is weird to me, I am probably at the happiest stage in my life right now. Mm -hmm. I love doing what it is I'm doing. I know really terrific and interesting people. I have 5,000 Facebook friends, but I only know 12 of them. But, you know, (laughs) they keep showing up because... They like the work that it is that I do, and I just love doing it. And the other day, ordinarily, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that we've had to file copyright complaints against people stealing the Garrison tapes or their Garrison files, and putting it up on their site. Caught a guy last week. He had put uh, the Garrison files up on his site, and they've been up there for four years. He had 80,000 hits. Imagine if that had been my site and had been monetized. So we filed a copyright complaint. But last night, some guy put up my album called It's Tough to be White. (laughs) And I hadn't seen it or heard of it in years. It's one o'clock in the morning. And so I just clicked it. I couldn't remember writing half of the stuff. And I listened to all 39 minutes of it. My God, it was funny. A lot of it was topical. It held up so well. And so I sent it to Stu and I said, do not send a copyright claim against this guy because I'd have never found it if he hadn't put it up. Just copy it onto my YouTube. So if you go to my YouTube, uh, I will will post it. Uh, He just sent me the, the link. I will post it. And you'll have a blast just listening to it. You'd be stunned at how topical some of it still is. It mm-hmm. maybe even more so. It's a lot edgier today. They would never let me do half of this material. no, today.
2: I don't think so no no, no. no that's, that's 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 so much changed. I don't know how you know our friend Sam Tripoli you know I've told him before I don't know how how he could even attempt to do comedy. How does anybody do comedy now when you can't? I mean, the whole nature of comedy is like making fun of, of like sacred cows and poking fun at things. And there's so many things you can't joke about. Now, I don't know how you would do it. There's so many rules and restrictions. I mean, how many jokes can you tell about Trump? I mean, it's been really restricted. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, the one
3: thing, you know what? Somebody asked me uh, two years ago when this COVID thing started and they said, John, what is it you miss the most? And I said, laughter. Yeah. No, I don't hear it anymore. When I go out, I see people on the phone. You'll see a, a family of five, and mother and father and the three kids, and they're all on the phone.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, nobody's talking to one another. I never hear laughter anymore, and I can't watch television at all anymore. I don't watch the news, the late-night shows. Once in a while, I'll try to... I loved some of the... Uh, 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 the country music stuff that was on PBS. I loved, uh, I watched Victoria when it was on. Um, once in a while, I'll find something like that. There is just nothing to look forward to anymore at all. What do you look forward to? No,
2: you can't, you can't. What you do you look forward to? Yeah, you're, I mean, I. you're right. I don't, uh, there isn't I, old movies. And as long as they let Turner Classic movies <laughs> stay afloat, uh will be but, happy, but I watch,
3: all, I watch old movies. I, I and watch. You, yeah, well, you know, talking movies, again, everything that I got, real people was an accident. Meeting yeah. Garrison was an accident. Working with Sinatra was an accident. And so was talking movies. It yeah. was about eight or nine months ago. I had, uh, you know, uh, when I made a, a really good joke about... uh Donald Trump, I'd get, you know, a couple of people would trash me and unfriend me, but maybe I'd get 45 or 50 comments about that's funny, et cetera, et cetera. But um, one day, somebody had posted something about the fact that they were disappointed that in 1951, Sunset Boulevard did not win an Academy Award with Gloria Swanson and Bill Holden. They were really upset that it went to All About Eve, 1951. So I answered and I said, well, the reason it went to uh, All About Eve is twofold. First of all, Betty Davis. And secondly, it was the second most intelligent script ever written for an American movie. Now that was the end of it. I got a hundred and twenty-three notes, and half of them said, "Hold it! What was the number one intelligent script written in America?" And of course, I had to answer. Network by far, I said when I when I first reviewed it. I said it's the only movie ever made in America where you have to go to listen to it. Oh, which John! the dialogue...
2: Hold no, on, John. We we got what? another we got another special caller on the line. Okay, call caller. You're on okay. the line. Okay, caller. You're on the line. Well, John, Barbara, you never
7: guess who this is.
3: I would never guess. I don't recognize the voice.
7: This is this is your favorite doctor from Cleveland, Ohio, calling to wish you a happy birthday. This is Doctor Tenpenny.
0: Honest to goodness. <laughs>
7: Oh, what? Yes. <laughs> and I'm actually oh, in Mexico on vacation calling to wish you
3: the oh, best that's
7: not... year ever.
3: Oh, that's oh my... Angel, thank you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. Oh, my God. That is so sweet. What are you doing in Mexico? Buying medicine? <laughs> buying anti... Buying anti... What you're buying antibiotics at about one tenth the price.
7: <laughs> no, I'm buying margaritas and sitting in the sun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, my! I oh, that's so funny. I wish I could share one with you. Thank you so much. Oh, oh my great.
2: god, what a thrill! It's wonderful. Well,
7: like... you're quite welcome. I had a little bird that whispered in my ear that it was your birthday. And I wouldn't miss it for anything. Just to call you and wish you the world's best. And I look forward to the. I look forward to the next time that we can have another interview and just share things about life.
3: Oh, Angel, thank you so much. You just have a wonderful time and stay sober if you can.
2: <laughs> Why? Yeah, exactly. Have, have fun there. Thank you, Doctor Pen- Tenpenny, Sherry Tenpenny doing wonderful work out there. Oh, thanks, my thanks God. So she much.
6: is. Oh, oh, Sherry,
7: you are such a gem. Honest to God. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, have a great evening. Take Thank care. Thank you. Thank, you.
3: Thank you. Best year ever. Take care. Thank you. Oh, I must tell you, Donald, I loved, I think I did three shows with yeah. her.
0: Yeah.
3: But the show that I loved, the the show I enjoyed the most because she had heard that I was, you know, at one time an atheist, but now I was an agnostic. And she's still quite a believer. And she said, would you do a show with me and just let's talk about beliefs? And I said, oh, my God, I would love that. I must tell you, it was one of the best shows I've ever been a part of in my life. I mean, the lady is just magnificent. And what a heart and what a mind. So thank you.
2: Yes. Right. So we, uh, yeah, it's, it's. Uh, and there are others and I hope we'll be hearing from some more people, but uh, it, people obviously love you, John. And, uh, you know, there's, we should, you should, if, if there was any justice, I don't know about an uh, uh, international day for you as Chris Graves wants to do, which would be great. But, uh, I did, I, fa- I fashion one of those I would love to see like if they still had well you can't you probably can't even do the Dean Martin type roast anymore the Friars Club roast anymore because I, everything you say is politically you know incorrect there I don't think you could do that but uh oh well, oh John you have oh yeah two more callers now oh cool are right, they're coming fast and furious first caller you're on the air okay caller go ahead caller
9: hello can you hear me?
3: Yes. I heard I heard somebody say can you hear me?
9: Oh, okay. Well, hello, John. It's Len.
3: Oh my god. Oh, Len. Oh Happy my god. Oh, listen. Oh my god. Listen. You have you have no idea, Len, what it means to me to hear from you. Today, uh, and forgive me for saying this, but, you know, I'm going to tell the audience, uh, one of my very favorite human beings in the world is Len Sanek First of all, and this isn't first of all, but I'll say first of all, he is by far the best broadcaster involved with Black Ops. And that's why he calls his radio show Black Ops. And he was one of the only first ones about eight years ago when I first had the Garrison tapes out, he was the first one to have me on. And then I went up to meet him and found out he's as good a guitar player and musician as anybody on the planet. Now, you'd think that would be enough to know that this guy is special. But listen, he has done something in his life that I could not do, and I don't know of anybody else, maybe one or two other people who could do it. His father-in-law is named Laszlo. And his father-in-law became seriously ill a dozen or more years ago. And the father-in-law was from Europe. He was a fisherman, but above that he was a narcissist. He was a musician. And he can paint as well as Rembrandt or anybody else. I mean, just phenomenal. But he got deathly ill, and instead of putting the home that they put him in was his own home. It's not his father. It's his wife. His wife Susan's gorgeous, beautiful singer. It was that home. He not only takes care, took care. of him every single day. And and Laszlo would develop a little Alzheimer's. So when I would go to Vancouver to do a show or something, Len always would, always would not let me go to a hotel. I had to stay in their place. I loved it because I got to be in a family where I'd never been in my life. And we had great breakfast in the morning. And every morning he had to reintroduce Laszlo, who was in his 90s, to me. And then Laszlo would play the harmonica or sing or talk to me in broken English. I loved that family, and I loved that man. And sadly, we lost Laszlo
2: on Monday. Yes, I read that. But a great um, run. What was he, 96, uh, 97? But a great – that was – I'm sorry to hear that that
3: And I thought – listen – it took me five years to finally talk Len and Laszlo into giving me one of his paintings, which I have hanging in my front room. We look at it every day. So for Len to take the time out to call me now, I'm almost oh, in it's, tears. It's I am well, so you Well, you're, you're,
2: you're probably going to be in tears next, John. We say, we saved the – Len, I really appreciate you calling. I want to go to the next caller because uh, this is the – we saved the best for last. So if we can have the next caller on. Okay. Happy birthday. Hello. Tom.
9: Hello. Can
2: you hear me? Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello. Yeah. Call her. Happy birthday, along. dad. Uh, what was that? <laughs> happy
6: birthday,
3: is that dad. my birthday. Is that my son? <laughs> yes, oh, is. Christopher. Oh, my God. <laughs> how sweet of you. Listen, you know, I'll tell you how sweet it is. I heard from 297 people, and I didn't hear from my son on Facebook. So, oh. but 297 <laughs> 297 people didn't call me. So I am, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Christopher. You know what, son? You're the reason yeah. that not only am I alive, but th- that I had a life because I told you. I never wanted a child, and I never wanted a wife, and I got the best on the planet. And for the first time, I I, I got to tell you something, uh, Donald. Are you still there? I'm listening. Yep. Donald. Yes, I'm okay. here. Okay. At the time, at the time, hanging at the time, Sarita was giving birth without any assistance at the uh, Presbyterian Hospital in the in the San Fernando Valley. I was under contract to replace Merv Griffin uh, on Westinghouse, and they were paying me $600 a week. Just before that, I was broke. As soon as Sarita got pregnant with Christopher, I got lucky. I got this call from Merv Griffin. I got this contract, and they were using my ratings because when I subbed for him, my ratings were as good or better than Merv's because I did a stand-up where he only would do song. And they were using my ratings to negotiate with David Frost, and I knew it. So what am I thinking about while I'm in the waiting room? I'm not thinking about my wife and my son. I'm thinking about the show. And, and okay, so then the doctor's name was Dr. Flouse, great doctor. So Sarita gave birth to Christopher without any assistance whatsoever, and... Sarita and the doctor said, when Sarita, when Krista was born, he had this expression on his face. Is why are you bothering me? That was what they said. But when Dr. Faust came out, he said, "Uh, John, Sarita wanted me to give you this message, that she just gave birth to an eight-pound, nine-ounce host. As soon as she said that, Donald, that was the first time in my life I ever cried because wow. I couldn't believe that somebody loved me so much at the most important time in her life. Instead of thinking about the joy of giving birth and the joy of seeing our son the first time she's thinking about me. And I just babble like a. A baby. Well, and I, I'm well telling I, you.
2: I hope, I hope, I hope Sarita is listening. And Sarita, if you don't know how much your husband loves you and how great he thinks you are, and Christopher, your dad is yeah. so proud of you. I don't know how many times I've heard your dad has met three geniuses in, your, in his life. Jim Garrison, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Fuller, and his that. son, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he, well, I should remember who...
6: Who's, who was the one who said that my dad he said that, you know, you don't have any friends, so you had to grow
3: one? Was Yeah, part. that was Mark Lachman, the, the head writer, Bob Hope's head writer. Johnny Barber had to grow his own friend. But I'll tell you something, son, son and I've told, first of all, you know, your mother and I lived together for three years before we married because I wasn't sure I wanted to get married. And the only reason, I, one of the reasons I married, aside from the fact she was stunningly beautiful and had the greatest speaking voice of any woman I ever heard, and she could tap dance like Ginger Rogers, her mother hated me. Just did not think I was funny. Couldn't stand me on the Merv and show. So after one night in the apartment when your mother was uh, on the phone with her mother, And I could hear the mother yelling at her. Why don't you come back here? And she's naming these millionaires. who want to marry her, okay? Herb Cain, the columnist, and all that kind of stuff. I got so angry when she got off the phone. I went into the bedroom and asked your mother to marry me. I wanted to piss off her mother-in-law. But I said to your mother, I've never envied anybody in this world Except your mother, because she has the most peaceful, comfortable soul. She can get on the elevator on the first floor with a stranger, and by the second floor, she knows their life story. People are just attracted to her peacefulness. And if I had some of your mother's personality and some of yours, I'd be one of the most famous people in the country. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of doing talking movies in Vegas, I can't wait to see you on Chris, Thursday. Chris, I'll break your you, bones when I hug you, you get, huh?
2: Chris. Christopher, do you get do you get jaded on on, uh, on, on hearing your dad gush over you so much? How, how are you and your mom handle this praise that he gives you guys all the time? No,
6: I I mean I, I mean certainly I, I you know uh, for someone who my dad said you know I didn't want to have killed kids and I right. I just can't imagine you know having a better father. Really, yeah.
3: You know, the best uh, thing, you know, I'll tell you something interesting, Donald. There was a guy from, uh, oh, God, what's that international? There's a national newspaper. I forget what it's called. Maybe U- USA Today. USA, USA Today. Yes, U- USA Today. There was a writer who was doing a story about me in my book. And so he came to my house and he was going to talk to me for like half an hour, 45 minutes. He stayed six hours. And when it was over, he said, do you mind if I call your son? I said, no, not at all. And gave him the phone number, agreed, Christopher agreed to take the call. And I guess they talked for some while. But he, he, my, he asked my son, what was one of the things you remember most about your father? And what my son said was the sound of his typewriter.
2: Oh, God, that a,
3: made me—that uh, brought tears
2: to my eyes. That's incredible, <laughs> John. I, oh John I I hate to break it. We're we're down to a minute left. We're almost running out of time. This uh, went yeah. too fast. And Christopher, I'm so glad you called in. And that was perfect, dramatic timing to say the best for last. So <laughs> it, it, I,
6: I, I'm sorry. I got a little busier than I expected, but I, I I'm glad I was able to get in here.
2: Uh, wonderful! Yeah. Well, I, I love you, son. I'll see you on I Friday. You I'll see, I'll see you on thank Friday. you, thank you for calling, My Christopher. Thank, and thank every, thank thanks to everybody for calling in and making this a very special online birthday party. John, you know, I, you, we're uh, you, you should feel all the love out there because lots and lots of people love you. You're a Hollywood legend, and uh, I'm just honored to be your friend.
3: Well. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. When you have a link, send me the link because oh, I yes. want to post it, okay?
2: And I want to hear Sarita's opinion, how she thought it went. So we, we definitely will do that. Thanks, thanks, every, thanks so oh, much, as always. Happy birthday to you. The world says happy birthday. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Donald Jeffrey Show.
5: do revelation through conversation in a radio show slash podcast you want the good news listen to the Ocelli effect Chuck Ocelli is the most underrated voice in all media news education and entertainment the daily bread from Ocelli.com go there save yourself from ignorance OCelli.com Revelation through conversation. Ocelli.com Jesus.
1: Wall Street window.com. Gold. Silver. The stock market. Wall Street Window.com. Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. WallStreetWindow.com Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. WallStreetWindow.com Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. Go there now.
5: do you like history real history that you were never taught in schools why the vietnam war Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia By author Mike Swanson With new documentation never seen before That'll open your eyes to events that led up to this Why? The Vietnam War Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia 1945-1961 through Get your copy today at Amazon.com Why? The Vietnam War By author Mike Swanson
7: Revelation through conversation.
1: in the truth about the Hay assassination? Right.
4: Well, what do you want to know? Judy
1: Baker's wild claim. Oswald girlfriend. She knew Ruby and Barry. Cancer weapons. Really?
4: I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay.
1: Oswald was on the building and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now. Has a real effort on the JFK assassination? Book into her claims Go to
4: Amazon.com. Enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at well (laughs) a different perspective let's say you can get judith barry baker in her own words from the author himself signed if you request it by contacting dr brown at k-i-a-s-j-f-k at aol.com it's a fun book and it actually dissects the many many fantastic claims judith barry baker in her own words
1: thank you for all the great information